You may be seated. If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 22nd chapter, the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 24, as we continue our study through the Word. So Jesus has been in Jerusalem now during Holy Week, during the the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover, and, and now it is time to celebrate the Passover meal itself But you'll remember that Judas had gone and he had arranged for the betrayal of Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And you'll remember that that they received him gladly. Afterwards, you'll remember that James, that John and Peter, rather, they went into the city to go and prepare the upper room. Jesus had instructed them to find a man carrying a pitcher of water and follow him. And that's where you will prepare the room. You remember that, that Jesus now came to celebrate that Passover meal. And he said, with fervent desire, have I longed to, to eat this meal with you. And, and you'll remember that, that Jesus then instituted the Lord's table, that he took the, the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which now will be broken for you. He took the, the cup And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And and Jesus now was establishing the remembrance that we would always remember how much he loves us. No greater love has a man than this. And he would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus demonstrated the great love that the Father has for us, that Christ has for us. And being that Lamb of God that comes and takes away the sins of the world. You'll remember that Jesus also at that meal said that, the, that there is one who is going to betray me that is here at the table And then they began to question among themselves which of them would would do this thing. Jesus is going to then settle a dispute with the disciples as they are arguing with one another. Their carnality coming to the surface when they are seeking who's the greatest of all of the disciples. And they are jockeying for position. We're going to see that Jesus is going to talk to Peter, have a word for Peter, that Satan is asking for Peter by name that he might sift him. And and so he is going to reveal the spiritual reality that goes on behind the scenes. And and he gives an exhortation to Peter that that once you have returned to me, strengthen others. And, And that implies that Peter is going to fail and And Peter defends that, and and he begins to argue with the Lord, and the Lord is going to give him more details uh, about that. Ultimately, we're going to see that Jesus is going to make his way over to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he is going to pray and seek the Father there. And then we're going to close the service with with an opportunity for anybody who has never entered into the kingdom of God to be welcomed into the kingdom. If if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you have kept the Lord at arm's length, you're going to have an opportunity to enter into that new covenant that Christ now went to the cross to be able to, to invite you into the kingdom of God. 
We begin here in this 24th verse of the 22nd chapter, and it says, now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. This was a, a common topic of conversation amongst them. These were the 12, and Jesus was establishing his kingdom. And the question was going to be, who got what parts, and who was going to be over who? And we see that there is just a natural pecking order in the flesh when we are with a group of people, that, that there are status symbols in different ways that people battle for their place in the pecking order and it was no different amongst the disciples there and and you remember that that these contentions were frequent you remember how James and John actually have their mother do an end around to go see Jesus to see if she could secure the left and the right hand of uh, of Jesus when he sits upon his his throne and so they've been with Jesus three years now and here they are at the final meal and what are they arguing about Who's going to be the greatest? You know, I mean, here they are now still battling with one another as to who's going to have more glory, more honor, more power, more authority. And, and so Jesus now, he, he addresses the issue. He ministers to it here in verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. We see that there is an exact inversion of the value system that we find in the world in the kingdom of God. In the world, we see that, that there is status and how many people you can have serving you. But in the kingdom of God, it's not about people serving you, but it is about you serving others. We see that Jesus says in verse 27, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus didn't come to be served. Though he disrobed himself of all glory, all power, all honor there in heaven, and he condescended to now become flesh incarnate now, and he walked among us. But yet he did not have everybody serving him. We see that he himself was the one that that served others. In our culture, in many cultures, it is about having others serve you. In ancient China, the rich would grow very long fingernails to where they wouldn't curl around. And with those fingernails, they weren't able to do anything. And so they had servants do everything for them. And those long fingernails were a sign of their, of their wealth and the number of people that would have to serve them. But Jesus, Jesus came to serve. He was constantly loving others and letting God's love flow through him onto others. Jesus didn't just tell us to serve others, but he set the example. There was no hypocrisy in Christ whatsoever. He invited us to come and to follow after him, and he set down that example. He went before us. In verse 28, Jesus now exhorts them, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. 
The disciples had been traveling with them for those three years of his public ministry. They had walked the roads with Jesus and they had suffered through the persecutions with Jesus and the opposition. And and here Jesus says to them that you have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And I want you to know that I believe that, that, that Jesus had the complete attention of, uh, of all of them in the room. They were like, all right, this is what I wanted to talk about here. These thrones that we're going to get, we're going to have power and authority in the kingdom. Let's go. Give me the details. What's going to happen here? And, and they are excited. And, and Jesus suddenly just shifts gears on them. He just throws in verse 31. And the Lord said, sign. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And it's like, you know, wait a minute here. Can we go back to the whole we're on thrones part again and we're enjoying, you know, being a part of the kingdom that you're setting up? And, and suddenly Jesus just tells Peter, I just want you to know what is happening that Satan is asking the Father for more access to you that he might sift you to to destroy you. And and we see here the the veil that gets pulled back on, on the reality of the whole spiritual world, which is invisible to our eyes, but is every single bit as real as the physical world that we dwell in. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the rulers of wickedness and high places, that there is a a spiritual conflict that is real and is going on all around us as, as we are just navigating, moving through our lives. Here we see that Jesus said that Satan himself is going to the Father and asking for greater access. It, it reminds us of Job. And you remember how Satan is there uh, before God. And, and he, he says, God says to Satan, have you seen my good faithful servant Job and, and how devoted he is to me? And, and you remember that Satan fires back and he says, the only reason that Job is, is so faithful to you is because you have spoiled him. You have blessed him with, with every good blessing that a person could possibly want. And then on top of that, you've put a hedge of protection around him so that I can't even get at him. The only reason he loves you is he loves you because of the gifts that he has. If you let me take away his gifts and mess with him a little bit. Hey, he will denounce you in a, in a New York second. And we see that God says, okay, I will pull back that perimeter fence around Job and, and you may have greater access to him. And, and Job's faith was then tested and, and we see that, uh, that it came through shining. But here we see that that now Satan is after Peter himself and asks now for a greater latitude for him. I want you to know that God has his hand on your life. 
that there is a perimeter around you that God has <laughs> said to Satan that this far and no farther, and, and that God knows exactly what we're able to resist and what we're able to bear up underneath. The Bible says that there's no temptation that has overcome you, but such as is common with man. And with it, God will make a way of escape. He'll never allow you to be tempted or to be put in a position where you cannot succeed. And so Jesus now tells them, Peter, that there is, this is what is going on now, that Satan is asking for you by name. But we see here that Jesus also goes on to say, but I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And so we see here that, that Peter's faith is going to falter, but it's not going to fail. His temporary lapse that was to come was not a failure of his faith and that he would return to the Lord. And when you return to the Lord, Jesus says, then I want you to strengthen your brethren. You see, we all are going to slip up and fail and falter. We are all sinners saved by grace. But when we do mess up and slip and fall, the enemy is right there to let us know that, that we're a failure and to tell us that God will never, ever receive us back, that once you stomp on the grace of God, that there won't be forgiveness for you at the cross. And, and the condemnation of the enemy is so quick to come in on our failures. And, and Peter, I want you to go strengthen others when they slip and they fall and, and let them know that there is forgiveness in the arms of the Father that you can never fall so far that you are outside of the grasp of God's love and God's grace. And so, Peter, you're going to experience some failure, but I'm going to use it for good and I want you now to go and to exhort and to encourage others. When you're restored, let others know that restoration is a part of what I do. It's who I am. But Peter now is being told that he's going to falter, that he is going to, to fail here. And Peter now, that's not who he believes himself to be. He is, he's a leader. He's fiery. He's passionate. He's emotional. And, and he cannot bear that truth that the Lord is revealing to him. And we see that Peter now is going to deny that he's going to deny the Lord. And, and look, verse 3, but he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I want you to know that, that God knows us better than we know ourselves. Amen. That so oftentimes we can be guilty of believing who we want ourselves to be rather than dealing with the reality of of who we really are. The Bible tells us that in our flesh, there's no strength whatsoever. And as we look at ourselves in the light of the word of God, that self-knowledge of recognizing and understanding just who we are, how frail we are, even on our best day, that, that there is no strength in our flesh and that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
that we need to abide in Christ and to stay connected to him, seeking his strength, his protection, his deliverance, and and not believing that we can be self-sufficient in spiritual matters, distant or separated from Christ. Peter doesn't see himself as someone who is capable of denying the Lord or, or, or even turning away. In his emotional state, he, he examines himself and, and based upon his feelings, he doesn't believe that there is any way that that can happen. But I want you to know that feelings change, emotions shift. When we're building our lives upon emotions, we are building on an unstable foundation. We are to build our lives upon the solid rock of the truth of God's word and not on how we are feeling at that moment. Peter felt really strong at that moment. He is in the supper. He has the other apostles around him. Jesus is there. There is the intimacy and communion and lightheartedness of the fellowship. And in that environment, in that moment, Peter felt strong. But the reality is that he would indeed falter in his faith. And and he tells the Lord, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to follow you to prison, even to death itself. And in verse 34, and then the Lord responds. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. I think that the Lord was willing to just leave it at, Peter, you're going to falter, but once you stand back up again, strengthen others. And and he was willing to leave it right there. But then when Peter says, there's no way, Lord, you're wrong. I'm not going to falter. Jesus goes, okay, let me give you a few details on that faltering part here. Okay, and, and now he, he lays it out a little bit more explicitly to him. Peter, this is exactly how you are going to falter. And, and I believe that Jesus told Peter the truth about himself and the situation, not to discourage him, but to let him know that there really is a, a spiritual balance battle and that there is a spiritual reality that Peter was unaware of but that Jesus knew very well. You remember how Jesus had pulled back the veil one other time in Peter's life when Peter there up at Caesarea Philippi tells the Lord that he doesn't need to go to the cross. It was right after Peter had just said that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And and Jesus had just said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven has revealed that to you. And and then Jesus began to talk about the cross and, and heading to Jerusalem. Peter pulls him aside and he's like, Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. And what's all this, you know, talk about, you know, dying and and everything. And do you remember what Jesus says to Peter? He says, get thee behind me, what? Satan. Satan. Peter had no idea that Satan now was filling his mind with those thoughts and was using him as an instrument to communicate those things to the Lord. We live in a physical world, but there is a spiritual reality that is interacting all around us. And Jesus was both aware of the physical environment and the spiritual environment at at all times. 
We see that he recommissions now the disciples there at that last supper. Remember when he had sent them out on those mission trips, those short-term mission trips? He did it twice. First, there was the sending out of the 12, two by two, and then there was the sending out of the 70, the commissioning of the 70 and the two by twos. And you remember the instructions that he gave to them. He told them, don't bring any resources with you. Don't bring a, a money bag or a tunic or an extra pair of sandals. Just go. And that was that exercise of, of walk by faith, trust in the provision of God. And, but this time now, he is going to commission them to head out, but there's going to be a different set of instructions. And, and so verse 35, and he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. He says, when you had to just simply walk by faith, did you lack anything? Or did the Lord completely supply for you? And they said, no, we didn't lack anything. God provided. He was faithful. And that's what Jesus is recalling to them. How faithful God was when you were trusting in him and, and resting in him for provision. That, that was a baby step of faith. And, and now they're going to have to take a, a bigger step. In the past, they went out for a few days and then they came back to the Lord and to the physical presence of the Lord. But the Lord is going to be departing and they are going to be sent out again, but they're not going to be able to just come back into his presence after a, a few days. Now they are going to have to continue to forge four words in building the kingdom of God. And Jesus will have ascended into heaven. And so now he is going to give them a new set of instructions. But it is going to be built upon the same foundation. And that foundation is trusting in God for the provision to be able to supply for you in accomplishing what it is that he has called you to do. And so he says uh, now in verse 36, then he said to them, but now. So, but now, the emphasis there is that we are in a different time. But now, he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and, and buy one. And so here we see that Jesus is declaring to them that, that now they are to bring their provisions with them. They're still to trust in the Lord in the same way that they trusted in him when they brought absolutely nothing. But there's not going to be a returning back to, to the physical Jesus and presence that, that they had. In verse 37, Jesus begins to talk about now the fulfillment of prophecies as, as the cross is looming. Jesus is hours away from being arrested and now being crucified. And so Jesus is going to talk about through the crucifixion, there are still many prophecies that need to be fulfilled. And he says in verse 37, for I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. Jesus was saying there's a finite number of prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament. 
Those prophecies can be broken down into two different categories. One category is the suffering servant prophecies. The other category is the conquering king prophecies. And all the prophecies are sealed in the Old Testament. And they fall into one of those two categories. Jesus is now saying that as he is heading towards his death, he is going to fulfill now the prophecies uh, that concern his first coming. The suffering servant prophecies are all fulfilled in his first coming. The other prophecies, the conquering king prophecies, those will be fulfilled in his second coming. The reason why the Jews had a, such a hard time of recognizing Jesus as the Messiah is they kept on looking at the conquering king prophecies now, and Jesus was not sitting on the throne of David and, and high and exalted and ruling over the nations with a rod of iron. and So he, he wasn't fulfilling now these prophecies, but Jesus says, I was numbered between the transgressors. Those prophecies, there's a limit to them, but I am going to fulfill those now. And so verse 38, as Jesus is talking about now, fulfilling those prophecies, verse 38, so they said, Lord, look, and here are two swords. <laughs> Jesus had told them, take your money bags, take your garments, take your supplies, take your swords, and I'm going to go fulfill the prophecies concerning my death. And they come back and they go, we found two swords. <laughs> and Jesus says, it's enough. Never mind. We're done. We're done talking, you guys. You know? And, and that's, what, that's what he says. And he said to them, it, it's enough. We're going to end this conversation right now. And coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. We see that Jesus now departs from the upper room and he walks down the slope and through the Kidron Valley and up now the, the western slope of the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that uh, that Luke tells us that this is where he was, had been staying during those nights uh, there during Holy Week. And, and Judas knew exactly where that garden was. And Judas was now departed from them and was in the midst of betraying him. You remember that he leaves the meal and Jesus says to him, what you do, do quickly. And, Jesus went, and Judas went out into the dark. Jesus heads over to the, the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and to wait for the arrest. What must that have felt like to be waiting to be betrayed? To know that your friend is now going to arrive leading a band of soldiers that will come against you as an enemy? But Jesus also has the, the cross in sight. It was now for this purpose that he came to offer himself up as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And, and Jesus now is going to be handed over to the Roman authorities and he is going to be scourged, brutally scourged. The, the scourging of the Romans was was so horrific that it would just tear the flesh right off of a person's back. And, and many people just died just from the scourging alone. But 
It wasn't just the scourging. Jesus was going to be mocked and beaten and have his beard and pulled from his face. He would have a crown of thorns bashed into his head. And then ultimately, he would be crucified, nailed into a tree, a spectacle to all of the people. Jesus knew that 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 was what he came to do, to offer himself up as a sacrifice. But I think of all of the times that, that Jesus had walked by and people who were being crucified. You see, crucifixion itself was the, the single most painful way to kill a person that the Romans could come up with. They would crucify them at the busiest intersections. <laughs> So that everybody that went by would see that person dying. And it would be a deterrent. The message was loud and clear. If you oppose the will of Rome, you could be next. But I think of every single time that Jesus walked by a person being crucified in his life. It was a reminder that one day he would be on a cross. That that was ultimately his end and now he is at that moment he is about to be placed into the hands now of those people that ultimately would crucify him and it says in verse 41 that as he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. (laughs) Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The crucifixion, the pain, the humiliation, the betrayal, all of that trifled in comparison to taking the sin of mankind upon himself and And the tearing away of the intimacy of communion that Jesus had experienced with the Father from before time ever was. As Jesus took our sin upon himself, he would feel the Father recoil and break fellowship now. And Jesus uh, there in the garden, he asks the Father, is there any other way that we can redeem men from their sins and bring them to heaven Is there a plan B? And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But is there any other way that we can accomplish this? And there was a sacred silence from heaven. There was no other way. And so oftentimes I think that those can be our prayers. God, is there any way that I cannot go through this trial that I am in? Is there any way that you can deliver me from this circumstance, from this situation? I'm not sure that I can bear up underneath the pain and the difficulty and the heartbreak of the circumstances that I am going through. Is there any other way, God, And just as that sacred silence towards his own son was an answer, so also does God answer us with that same silence. 
There are some trials and afflictions and difficulties and heartbreaks in this life that there is no easy pass around, that there is no deliverance from, that, that it is God's will that you walk through that. But he wants you to know that he hears you, he sees you, and he knows that this is what you must You must pass through. This is his will. But I want you to know, notice what happens next, that that the father, though he hears him, though he does not give him the answer that, that he would like, he does not just ignore him. Look at what happens next. We see in verse 43, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Instantly, the father discharges an angel to go and to minister to him, to bear him up and to give him the strength to be able to endure what is his will. And so also does God send us heavenly resources to strengthen us in those moments, in those trials, in those afflictions of our soul when we think that we are undone and we cannot bear it any longer. He says, I see you, I love you, and I will send you help. And yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. And when you go into the fiery furnace, I, I will join you in it. And I will give you the provision. You will not be consumed. You will not be destroyed. I will help you. But you must walk through it, my child. And so we see the Father's heart and we see him sending those resources, those provision even to Jesus. But look at the very next verse. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Even with the strengthening of the angel, he still is in agony. And he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Jesus wakes them up and encourages them to pray. Do you realize the circumstances you you need to wake up and you should be praying. I, I wonder if that isn't the same message that God is telling us today. You need to wake up and you need to be praying. Do you see the things that are going on around you? Do you understand the times that you are living in? Wake up and be praying. As we close our study here, I want to I want to draw our attention back to verse 30 where Jesus is talking to the disciples about his kingdom. In verse 29, he says, and I bestow upon you a kingdom 
Just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is talking about his kingdom. You remember that John the Baptist uh, came with the message that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. Get yourself ready to enter into it. And Jesus uh, came now and threw open the door to the kingdom of God. I am the door into the the kingdom and and Jesus says that I go to my father's house and and there are many mansions and I go there to prepare a place that where I am you may be also and, and I will receive you. The kingdom of God now dwelling in the presence of the Lord and having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of us. The, the kingdom, Jesus says, my kingdom. <laughs> And the invitation to come and to enter into his kingdom. And it, and it just brought the question, whose kingdom are you a part of today? You see, there is the kingdom of God and then there is your own kingdom. And I know that for 30 years I was busy building my own kingdom. <laughs> I was seeking after my own wills, trying to to create my own life, seeking my own fame, my own fortune, my own happiness, and, and building this kingdom until God invited me to stop building my own kingdom and come and to enter into his kingdom. He, he showed me that you're competing with me. You're building an opposition to my kingdom. And he says, let's talk about this. He says, your kingdom, he says, it's going to end when you breathe your last breath and your kingdom just evaporates and is gone. But my kingdom is forever. And you have been invited now to abandon your kingdom and to enter into my kingdom and and I want you to know that, that I left my kingdom. I just let it go, and I, I received that invitation to enter into the, the kingdom of God. And my life was changed instantly, instantly, and completely. There were changes that began to work in my heart and my life as as God placed his Holy Spirit inside of me. And I now became a a citizen of the kingdom of God. And my life has continued to, to change. And I am radically changed from the man that, that I used to be. And I don't mean radically. I mean like radically, radically, radically uh, changed. And, and here's what I know. I know that when I was building my own kingdom, it really wasn't working. I know that there was a constant state of emptiness that was uh, in my heart, that that success and and gratification and fulfillment and peace and the things that I longed for always seemed to be just one step out of my grasp. That I know that there was no peace with God and that there was no fulfillment in the flesh that had always kept me empty and longing for more and wanting more. 
And God let me know that in my own kingdom, I would never have peace and I would never have fulfillment and I would never have satisfaction that those things that my soul longed for would never be found in my own kingdom, but those are found only in, in his kingdom. And he invited me to enter in and, and it was the greatest and best decision that I've ever made in my entire life. And today there are some that might be with us that you're still building your own kingdom. You're still struggling so hard. And I, I remember how tired I got at just trying to, to make life work. And no matter how hard I tried to make it work, it wasn't working. It's difficult to kick against the goads and and Christ invites us out of that storm into his love, into his light, and into his peace. And, and today he's inviting you to, to let go of your kingdom. He gave you free will. And I used that free will to build my own kingdom, but then he said, use your free will to enter into my kingdom. And, and today you have that choice. It's not thrust on you. It's not forced on you. But it is the best decision that you will ever make in your entire life. And if today your life isn't working, if you're ready for that change, if you've come to the end of yourself, if the Spirit is saying to you that these things are, are true, if you can recognize that your kingdom ends with your last breath and that it is futile to spend any more time building in something that, that will not last and that will not fulfill, and that's the calling of the Spirit, home. He wants you to come home, to come out of the storm, to come out of the darkness, to come out of the pain, to come out of the emptiness, to come out of the strife, to come out of the division and come home into his arms, into his grace, into his forgiveness, into his acceptance, and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life and know that you will spend eternity with him. And if that's you today, then as we worship, just stand up and come to the front. And whoever comes up to the front, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer afterwards. And it's just exchanging your kingdom for his kingdom. And so if that's uh, you now this morning, then just stand up and come forwards to enter into his kingdom. Stand and come. <laughs>